Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. I am joined by someone else who occasionally writes at Above the Law, uh, <laughs> senior, senior editor Catherine Rubino. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? You know, well, you know, pending, you know, yeah, all the same disclaimers we do every week about like, oh, as best as we can and blah, blah, all that sort well, of Well, yeah, there's COVID, but also, you know, our democracy is not looking great today. Yes. And for those of you who wonder why it's not looking great, you should uh, definitely go back and check out our episode where we interviewed Rick Hassan, uh, who uh, yeah. gave us a lot of reasons to be very terrified about democracy. Well, also, you know, we recently had the debate and you put out a drinking game for the debate. And oh, that's it, true. I, I mean, it's yeah, a couple I, of days later and people are still I, feeling the hurt. I, it was a I devastating do, game. I do have to apologize uh, to, to all of our readers that we lost to alcohol poisoning. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I did not intend that to happen. I've written I've written debate drinking games for this website for the last two presidential elections. Even before I worked here, I wrote the Above the Law drinking game when I was just uh, a Thomas, freelancer. Yeah. And this one was brutal. I mean, the number usually, one, the first question was obviously about the Supreme Court, which, listen, which you fine. knew. I knew that was going to happen. Court was going to come up. It's going to be a thing. It's a pretty big story. Great. But I mean, the very, very first question, and it only got worse from there. It did. I put a bunch of things in there, uh, you know, that I really did not expect right. all of them to happen. And I think at the end, the only things that didn't were, I don't think Trump ever explicitly mentioned pardoning people. And I don't think anyone said Elena this. Kagan was not mentioned. Elena Kagan was not mentioned. But it didn't matter because that question was all any other Supreme Court oh. justice who Oof. wasn't. Yeah. And then I don't think anyone actually verbalized the question, hey, where's Kanye? Which was one of my <laughs> other ones. But beyond that, it just kept getting worse. It was. It was... Um, I just remember about 40 minutes in some totally innocuous comment got made and I looked down and realized it was on my list and I was like, oh, <laughs> I did not intend this to come up. Yeah, so that was, that so was not less than We're still dealing with a few hangovers. I think we all know why. Yeah. I, hopefully by the time this episode comes out, that won't be true. That'll be a whole week after the fact. Sure. As bad as it was, I don't think that's the issue. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yes, yeah, so we had a debate drinking game. You should look out for those in the future. Uh, obviously, they're a lot of fun. Yeah, well, but, uh, yeah. May maybe you just you read it, you enjoy it, and but you don't. And then you just it. don't actually try yeah. to follow it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, fair enough. Yeah, no, it was the sort of thing that towards the end, as things kept piling on, I got, I got, you know, really nervous about it, and I got worried. Yeah. You know what else is worrying? What's worrying? You, you Joe? Wor if you're worried about a contract deadline, Contract Tools by Paper Software is the most powerful, versatile, and full-featured Microsoft Word add-on for contracts. For less than a dollar a day, Contract Tools can help you navigate complex legalese, fix common contract drafting problems, and much more. See for yourself with a seven-day free trial. Go to papersoftware.com forward slash trial and get started today. So I guess maybe that is the jumping off point. Uh, one of the single most popular story on our pages this week has been a story about the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. And in particular, it was a musing that I came up with about you were looking out for Donald Trump, which strikes I was. me as off brand for you. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing my best to protect 
our president from uh, from the pe- people who want to take advantage of him. Uh-huh. No, but it's true. So the, the conversation actually grew out of uh, a talk I was having with a non-lawyer about well, what really could happen with the Supreme Court and whatever. And it, ultimately, the, this conversation kind of got me thinking that Donald Trump is getting played by Mitch McConnell I mean, and the Federalist Society. And you're, you're lips to God's ears, right? But how so, Joe? He seems to not understand that that this whole nomination and trying to ram this through before the election is not in his best interest. And by that, I mean, if you look at the way this election's shaping up, it seems as though the biggest problem for his potential reelection is the moderate or disillusioned Republican voter, the Project Lincoln person, if you will, Mm -hmm. uh, the George Conways of the world. These are the sorts of people who actually are very happy to have Amy Coney Barrett on the sure, Supreme they, they would like they would like that. Vote. They just don't like Trump. They find him annoying. They they think that he's bad for the party. And I think we're finding that more and more elected Republicans share this view. They just feel right now they have to put up with it. But it's a sliding scale till they become the kind of never Trumper down the road. And it feels to me as though the answer right now with this is to say to those people who you need to turn out, who you need to get back on board or else mm-hmm. you have no real hope. Right. Don't say, I'm going to get this woman confirmed before the election because that's giving up any possible leverage you have with those people. I mean, isn't that just saying, get ready for the lame duck appointment? Potentially, yeah. It, it, isn't that worse though for the country? Sure, 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 sure. But again, I was writing this from the perspective of where Looking Trump Looking out for is. your bunny, Donnie. Well, well, yeah. Well, and well, there's two aspects to it. One, it was- like, You're out of your element, Donnie. Yes. Yeah, so there were two elements. One was definitely that it was from that perspective. Sure. And so I didn't have to worry Even about that. Even if it's that. a little tongue-in-cheek. Right. And I think that what he has to worry about is if he does this, then now- they're all good with him. I mean, they, they've got three justices when there were only two openings, mm-hmm. which is pretty good. That's For four know, years, that's fantastic. For, for four years, but also three when there were only two openings, which is mm-hmm. extra impressive. There's not really, I mean, potentially Justice Breyer, but he seems to be in good health and having no interest in resigning under a Republican administration, meaning that the odds that they're going to replace anybody else going forward relatively slim. Right. Uh, the next term is not likely to make much impact on the Supreme Court unless something really out of the ordinary happens. I mean, Justice Thomas has had health issues, but he, you know, should, you know, based on his age and all, he should be able to make uh, it- survive another four <laughs> years, and he shows no signs of wanting to retire. Alito seems uninterested in retiring, and mm-hmm. with that point, there's not much else to get. So from the perspective of these Republicans, they his usefulness disappears after this appointment. And I think he needs to understand that if he wants those people to vote for him, he should be dangling this. It's weird for somebody who prides themselves on deal making that he's taking just kind of missed it and taking the stance of, well, what if I just give up all my leverage? Uh, Like it just doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. But the second reason why I didn't, worry about the lame duck session in that one was that I was writing it from his perspective, but also from his perspective, it's also an opportunity to 
punish people who don't vote for him. Uh, sure. I think you you set it up like I will put her on the court if I get reelected. Then if he loses, he says no. You burned me, you screwed me, and I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to reward you. I mean that would that would be a very fascinating. Uh, I mean alternative history. He's vindictive, and uh, sure. And I think that you know that could be could have been what happened. But in any event, putting aside all those future scenarios, my argument was just a thought experiment spinning sure. out. The best option for him is not to have somebody confirmed in the short term, and nonetheless, he's trying. Well, I mean, I don't think he, despite the title of the book, I don't think he's very good at making deal making. Yeah. Well, I mean, that might be why he's four hundred million dollars in debt or whatever. Yeah, it's that those taxes sure came out this week. Yeah. Well, thankfully, he managed to have a debate where he moved that into being the least of all things he needs to worry about. So, <laughs> uh, but yes, so that, that was our thought experiment about wh- how this nomination no, I, I do think turn. it's a very interesting query and, and a, a way of thinking about the world, although I, I think you're right that it's not something that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you're right that three putting three people on the court is is far better than you kind of any term should really have the right to. And, and certainly that's, what the folks who have recently put up a term limit bill suggesting that the Supreme Court justices should be um, should have term limits. I know that that's one of your big hobby horses in terms of uh, court reform. And mm. those, you know, assume every term would have two, um, yes. two people to appoint. And so, you know, if you're doing better than the average, you know, make, make your peace. Yeah, this is um this is a piece of legislation that's been a long time coming. Uh, it mm-hmm. actually has been proposed over the years many times. It's even been in courts before. Uh, it, I think it was first proposed in like 1807. <laughs> uh, but the most recent iteration, which Troika of Democratic lawmakers put up last week, and is is one of our or was that this week? God, time's moving so I think fast. It was this week. Anyway, well, yeah, it, time's moving fast. <laughs> Time is weird. But it's 2020, um, y'all. But this bill, which has support from folks like our friends over at Fix the Court, mm-hmm. as you said, would have two justice openings every term. Right. So you would. So you know this way when you're voting for a president exactly how many Supreme Court justices exactly. you're getting. You aren't you know, getting it's this. Not a oh maybe there'll be a new cancer treatment and yeah, that'll change. It's, the- it's macabre the way we yeah, handle it now. Sure. Um, it puts us in the position of viewing people uh, like monarchs, uh, which is. Deeply, deeply anti-democratic. Sure, and it's and I also think that you know, from a, a human perspective, it also robs folks of the ability to grieve. Right, one of the oh, biggest yeah. things that I I heard people critical of of my kind of stance on Ruth Bader Ginsburg's passing was that oh, you know, you're already thinking about the political. You're not you're not worrying about you know, this is a great woman who passed away, which is obviously accurate, but. But also, you have to think about the political. Her dying wish <laughs> yeah. was literally, don't let him appoint somebody to my seat. So, I mean, I think it was on her mind as well. And well, it's right, just because the feature be- of the system. It's not a bug. Because there's a uh, anybody who actually um, knows about the Supreme Court outside of some weird platitudes understands that it is a organ of the Constitution, which makes it a political entity and the way in which it is structured with these lifetime appointments and people serving till the end of their lives mm-hmm. at the, increasingly, it is an aristocracy. And it does mean that your concern immediately is, you know, the justice is dead, yeah. long live the justice. I mean, that right. is how right. this functions. Right. And that's inappropriate in a democracy. And yet here we are. And so a term limits bill would 
endeavor to make some changes to that. And I think it, yeah. it would be welcome on uh, multiple levels. Uh, the argument about its constitutionality would be is obviously there. The Constitution says that the judges, uh, federal judges, are supposed to serve in good behavior and not have their pay reduced at any point after they uh, take the job. Uh, the pay part could obviously be worked around, but the definition of what is good behavior, mm -hmm. there is an argument that that means they have to have their job for life and you can't do anything about it. Uh, the counter to this is that we have a senior status in our court systems, right. and the function would be to amend the Judiciary Act to say that the Supreme Court will be made up of the nine most recently appointed people. Mm -hmm. And after you cycle off of that, you would become a senior justice. You would still have a role within the court. You would still ride circuit to the extent that they do that occasionally. Uh, I know Justice O'Connor's done that over the years right. uh, after retiring. You would still be able to do that. You and would still gives, be available for- If there were recusals. Recusals you know, and stuff like that. that. All that kind of stuff yeah. up. But you would just not serve on the active duty Supreme Court, which- should be legal, uh, and to the extent that anybody wants to challenge the constitutionality of it, I'm not altogether sure who has standing. Uh, <laughs> this Supreme Court under Roberts has waged such an aggressive war on, on what it means to have standing that mm -hmm. I'm fairly confident under their own, obviously they they, they aren't known they, for- They do what they want. <laughs> they aren't known for consistency, but under their own ideological consistency, the, the only person who could really bring the case would be them. Uh, right. and, and not just them generically, literally like, like the, fir the first one who gets told they have to sit right. down is the only one, which right. I guess would be Thomas in this scenario, could bring the case. And in which case they couldn't hear the case. And you would think that they well, couldn't think. hear it. And then, yeah, exactly. Like it, there, there's so many reasons why this probably would not result in a Supreme Court saying that it is unconstitutional. Mm. But alas, the term limits bill is out there. Obviously, it's not going anywhere right now, but it, I think it's an important symbolic bill that we should rally around and raise attention around. And hopefully in the future, we will have a government willing to say, hey, maybe we don't have people in jobs for life. And let's not have all of our rights dependent on the health of an 87-year-old woman. I mean, yeah, and that too. <laughs> but I, I mean, even if it weren't that, I just think it it's so profoundly anti-democratic. It's so against the whole I mean, but from, supposed principle sure, of yeah, the country. I mean, yes, yes, Joe. <laughs> but there are so many facets of the way our federal government works that are profoundly anti-democratic, right? Sure. The seat limit the Senate, on the House. Yeah. The, the Senate, well, sure, absolutely. Yeah. But also even the seat limit uh, in the House of Representatives yes. is something that I find completely untenable, right? The fact that somebody in Wyoming's vote counts so much more than someone in California because of the number of House of Representative members that are, you know, allocated per citizen right. is is unconscionable, particularly when you have something like the Senate, which was designed to be anti-democratic. Right. Uh, and it just, you know, magnifies the harm. Right. That, the House was designed to be right. the opposite of that. Right. And now and it the, is the, also the, somewhat. Also, not by constitutional amendment, but by, by statute. By statute limitation on the number of seats in the House, I think, right. only amplifies the problem of the Senate. Well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because uh, a couple years ago, actually 2016, I guess, or 2017, I think it was in January or so, I actually wrote a piece and a law professor actually wrote me back and said that he was taking up the piece for actual scholarly work. Mm. Uh, uh, so that was nice. Uh, but uh, on that subject, which is even if you assume that the House of Representatives can statutorily cap how many representatives there are, which mm -hmm. therefore leads to these 
increasing disparities as some states are way too, so small and then you've got to cater around them. But I made the argument that this was a backdoor constitutional amendment that should render it, you know, at least illegal in to the extent that it impacts the Electoral College, because the Electoral College right. is in the Constitution and set up with the understanding that the number of representatives would be directly proportional to the population. Mm -hmm. And now that a statute gets passed, limiting it to 435, which then has the effect of having the district that is Wyoming being way different than the districts that make up California, you now have this carryover effect into that, which seems like you've, you've amended the Constitution by not changing the line because the Constitution says that it's just the number total number of House of Representatives members and senators, but you've mm-hmm. actually changed it because even though the Constitution never had to go through the process that the Constitution contemplates for amendment, you went ahead and made this change and just said, oh, and that means textually we've changed the Constitution. Right. That seems problematic and should not be how you get to make changes in this right. country, Particularly but when here there's we are. enough problems with the uh, Electoral College to start with. This right. just only makes it worse. Right. Well, I guess real quick, we should definitely transition. We've been going for quite some time on this. So I mean, it is a big story in the is, world right it now. It is, it is. It's okay. But you know, we also talk a lot about law firms. We do, we do. Yeah. So, um, kind of our bread and butter. Yeah. And, you know, and, and we've also talked about COVID. That's why we have a, a special show about it. And if you're wondering, how have law firms weathered previous economic downturns and come out stronger on the other side? LexisNexis Interaction has released an in-depth global research report confronting the 2020 downturn lessons learned during previous economic crises. Download your free copy at interaction.com slash like a lawyer to see tips, strategies, plans, and statistics from leaders who have been through this before and how they've reached success again. And on the note of people reaching success again, yes. many firms have reversed their salary cuts and, yeah, so, and more have fall fall bonuses. Correct. Right. Yes. The, the, both of those things are kind of trending in, in the autumn, which is, you know, special bonuses started by Cooley. Uh, Davis Poe came over the top with massive bonuses. Um, some firms have followed on while did their own thing. Uh, The firm, most firms have tied fall special bonus amounts to class year, like we see with end of the year bonuses Mm -hmm. as kind of the standard in big law. But while actually linked it to the number of hours billed year to date through the end of August, I believe it is. So folks are... So a lot of folks are really mad, actually, uh, because to get that top number, the top number, I think, is $50,000, which is $10,000 more than the top bonuses that are in the kind of standard Davis-Polk scale. But the question is, how many people are actually in a position? I think you have to build 2,600 hours to get that. Yeah. Like, yeah, none. I, I, you, you know, how how busy is the bankruptcy group? Uh, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, busy, but and and yeah. maybe And maybe they get it, but, you know eighth year associate who's in litigation may not be and may be making a lot less in terms of bonus amount than they would if they were at Davis Polk or someone that did these yearly uh, bonuses. And and there's been a lot of anger coming from the rank and file at the firm. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's very much a bait and switch. Uh, They Mm -hmm. want the positive attention of look, we're offering bonuses. And look at this number, $50,000. That's the biggest number yet. Yeah. And then you look at it and realize, well, but who's actually touching right. that? And uh, we don't know. Probably, yeah. And, and, and that's the issue. We don't know. Uh, it sounds like even folks at the firm aren't quite sure how this will all work out. So it, it's a, it's very interesting um, to see how, how that firm is dealing with it. And, you know, I think that particularly 
in 2020 being so linked to hours and numbers for billables is is really a problem. You know, there's so many things that have happened this year, so many reasons why otherwise excellent attorneys are not billing what they would otherwise bill, right? Yeah. There's there's a pandemic, you guys. Uh, <laughs> there's been massive social injustice and unrest as a result, right? There's been, you know, lockdown orders forcing people to work from home. People are are also being their kids' teachers, you know, not just for a month or two, but for the end of the entire last semester, as well as starting school this year. There's a ton of reasons why, you know, and that even assumes, even if that, that those, you know, assuming there were all the hours available that there might otherwise be, but there's also not as many hours available at plenty of firms, yeah. right? There's, um, you, you, we've, there's been articles, I think our colleague Stacey uh, Zareski wrote an article about how partners are hoarding hours and doing tasks that they would otherwise farm down to more junior attorneys, but because they're worried about their own hours, particularly uh, non-equity partners, uh, that they, they're they doing tasks that would uh, be perhaps more appropriate in a junior's hand. Uh, so there's not as many hours coming down from partners. Mm. Um, there are obviously industries that have been massively affected by the pandemic and the lockdown. And if your clients are in those industries, you are likely seeing a lot less work from those clients. Um, so that's also an issue. So there's, there's lots of reasons why, um, a good associate is not billing at the top of their yeah. game right now. No, and, and I think we're seeing now some other firms kind of taking this approach either explicitly mm -hmm. saying, you know, you've got to have all these hours to get your bonus. Or one of the tricks that is out there, some firms like Cravat and all are not even though they're traditionally compensation leaders, uh, Kirkland and Ellis did this t similarly, mm -hmm. they're traditionally compensation leaders, but they're saying, well, we aren't going to give these fall bonuses yeah, to Melody, match Davis yeah. Polk and whatever. We'll wrap it in to, to our annual end-of-the-year bonus. But part of that trick is knowing that those annual end-of-the-year bonuses usually do, at, some, at these firms, have mm -hmm. some tied hours, and then they can wait until then, and then they can set unrealistic hour requirements and then not pay people. Yeah, and... and We'll see kind of how it all shakes out. And um, part of the problem when you're trying to get an industry take is that it will be very individualized. And it's hard to make broad statements when it's like the California office of this practice group is screwed, but the New York office of this other practice group is doing better than expected. So it's kind of right. hard to make those kind of broad statements when everything winds up becoming super individualized, which is tying it to ours is, is how that happens, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, and and I think that associates are right to be concerned and to wonder. And but it's also fair to say not every firm has an hours requirement before you get your end of the year bonus, right? Mm. Some firms are just lockstep. If you're in good standing, we we'll keep you as busy as we can. And if not, then it's on us. It's not on the associates to find work. We'll keep you busy. Uh, and that's kind of the attitude at some firms. And you know, other firms have eighteen hundred hour requirements. Some have 2,100 right. hour requirements. And the difference between that is, is a lot. And there are bump ups and there are individualized mm -hmm. bonuses like mm -hmm. they do at Kirkland. And yeah, I think that a lot of the delay people are delaying because they can they can try and work around it on the back end. I mean, I, I definitely, I, th I think that that will happen for sure. at a lot of firms, Corvath obviously rightfully got a lot of flack for 
pushing off the fall bonuses. But I do think that at Cravath in particular, it's it's likely that they are just going to wrap it up in full and make sort of associates whole. I mean, there's a, oh, always an issue when you're not getting your money until December or January and you could have gotten the money potentially in October. There's, you know, that time value of money. But I do think that there is a risk at that firm that folks will be made whole um, in terms of the market. But it is very much a question, and and I think that associates are right to to have these questions, and I think they're right to be annoyed about this. And you know, some of our our insiders at the firm are saying, you know, this really chips away at the Cravath brand to not immediately meet the bonus numbers or or do better than the bonus numbers. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, you know, this is a brand that traditionally acts first. Mm -hmm. They have been caught. A couple of times now, not acting first, and sure. uh, this is becoming a trend. And you got to start wondering if uh, you've got a firm whose whole cachet is that we lead everybody. Find it following. Uh, yeah. that's disconcerting. And, and you them. know what was the 2018 raises that happens that Millbank led the charge on. So it wasn't Cravath in that instance, but what Cravath did do was come over the top, at least as it applied to uh, senior associates. Right. And and that was enough to really be like, oh, they are the real compensation leader. It's enough to kind of keep that brand in folks' mind. And I think the other thing for for firms and and if anybody who works at a firm, particularly in branding and PR for firms, if you're listening here, uh, something I think you have to be very mindful of is that the reputation of a firm as it applies particularly when you're talking about law school recruiting is only three years long right <laughs> you know as as much as you like to think that these brands are are hundreds of years old and they are of course but the kind of of the moment cachet is very much built in the law school process and there's a turn there's a constant turnover uh, of who's in law school and what their perceptions are and so it's it you know it's a shorter lifespan than you think and, and you may have been the leader for a lot of years but who remembers who the compensation leader in 1994 was right now? Yeah. yeah. I don't. Probably Wachtell. Probably. Anyway, uh, um, but whatever. So, yeah, that's great. Well, it looks like we're coming to the end of our time together here. Um, oh, oh, parting is such no. sweet sorrow. Yeah. Yes, but thank you all for listening. Uh, you should be subscribed to the show. That way you get new episodes when they drop. You should be giving them stars and writing reviews. Even just writing those words just triggers that algorithm and gives it a little bit more of a jump so that more people know about the show. You should listen to our other shows, the ATL COVID cast, which we mentioned earlier, the Jabot, Catherine's show about diversity in law firms. I'm also on the Legal Tech Week Roundup with Bob Ambrosi about technology stuff. Uh, you should be reading Above the Law as always. You should follow us on social media. I'm at Joseph Patrice. She's at Catherine One, numeral one. Thank you again, as always, to Paper Software for their contract tools. Check that out it's, uh, and get your free trial. And I think that's it. Bye. Bye. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.